1: This is Fantasy Sports Today, hour number two of our show. Craig Mish, along with Joe Ranieri. And happy final day of March to you guys as we head into the month of April. For those of you who are, of course, experiencing what we are, uh, staying safe and, of course, staying healthy, washing your hands, want to thank you guys so much for making us part of your morning or your afternoon or evening routine. Of course, our show, Fantasy Sports Today normally airing in the morning. But keep in mind, with uh, programming, we're changing things around, kind of giving things a little bit of a new look. Look, if, if all sports do it, why don't we do it as well? That's kind of the way that we're tackling this. Uh, baseball discussion is on the way, also with the first hour of the show. If you want to hit that little rewind button, uh, you can go back and hear some of the discussions that we had about the Houston Astros, Evan Gaddis, Mike Fires. we touched on that as well. And also, if you are a subscriber or you're not, make sure that you like And make sure that you become a subscriber of our Sports Grid channel on YouTube, because that is something that will go right to your phone every single day, and you can end up watching it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Not just my show, but of course, the other 17 shows that Joe is on. He wants you guys to watch all of his shows as well. Um, So, you know, Joe discusses odds and a lot of handicapping. Of course, I'm very much into it as well, but predominantly we do a lot of fantasy talk on the show. Uh, Football-wise, we'll have a lot to discuss in a few weeks with the draft. But until then, let's kind of go back and look at some of the things that happened over the weekend, Joe. And let's start mm-hmm. off with the Kansas City Chiefs, of course, uh, the the team that just really put themselves on a pedestal, I think, above everybody else last year, winning the Super Bowl and doing great things, trying to bring back as many guys as they can as they should. Mm-hmm. Uh, Demarcus Robinson ends up signing a one-year deal with the Kansas City Chiefs worth about uh, $2 million. Um, look, he... Was his season fantastic? No. Did he show glimpses and signs of being something special? Yes. Uh, The bottom line is that we don't know what Watkins is going to be at this stage of his career. We know that he's coming toward the end there. Tyreek Hill is there as well. Travis Kelsey is there. One of the more smaller moves, I'm going to guess, in a fantasy league, Joe, Demarcus Robinson is not going to enter the season as a starter for you. But because of his speed and because of his ability, he's always going to be one injury away from possibly getting that opportunity. I kind of put him in the Mecole Hardman uh, same class where if something happens to Subble and he gets more of a look. But uh, I'll start off with you on Demarcus Robinson, your thoughts on him deciding to stay in Kansas
0: City. Um, And I think a lot of these guys that are going to be signed from this particular point out, it's going to be a lot of these, uh, certainly keeping in mind what's coming up in this draft right now with the amount of projected wide receivers, uh, for these teams to be able to choose from 2.3 million dollars not a lot of money there's a lot not a lot of downside here or risk from the uh, Kansas City Chiefs um, perspective it's kind of a one-year show-me uh, deal if he yeah. can come out and he can come out and prove that he's got a little bit more consistency to his game we all need that every team needs that one guy to take the top off the uh, the defense right well, they've got Tyreek Hill. They've got him. They got hard. They've got some speedsters. So I think if he can go out there and be a little bit more consistent with his play, um, then yes, I think the sky's the limit because we don't know about Tyreek Hill. Uh, you know, health-wise, we've seen them get kind of a little banged up. The big question to me with Robinson is is he the same wide receiver if he doesn't have Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball? Yeah. No, That's
1: you never know. Question.
0: That's a big yeah. question. But uh listen, a lot of it's an affordable opportunity for them to keep and I'm all about consistency in the NFL I think that's that's one of the keys to the NFL and having success is making sure that the quarterback some of those skill positions offensive line coaching keep it consistent some guys that he knows the tendencies to Patrick Mahomes guys he's used to and more importantly guys he trusts and you know there are some moments of course that he proved he can be trusted there as a wide receiver throwing the ball. To.
1: Yeah. And again, you never know when a guy on the chiefs is just going to go off. And that's always been the dynamic, whether it's standard leagues, yep. PPR leagues, or even for those people who play DFS, it's always trying to predict which one of those chiefs guys ends up having a big game. Robinson every once in a while has his hardman has his and Hill is really the only startable guy yep. on a week to week basis. But if, as you mentioned, Joe, if something was to ever happen to Hill, then Robinson would be in a much better situation, that is for sure. Yep. Uh, boy, this is shocking. Okay. Devin Funches, did this dude play a down last year in the NFL with all the money that he got paid by the Indianapolis Colts? Like, no. that was just crazy. This yep. guy was a complete zero last year. I got to believe that even though he signed this contract with the Green Bay Packers, one year, $2.5 million. I gotta think, Joe, that the Packers are gonna be heavily attacking wide receiver in this draft, whether it's the first round, second round, or third round. Devontae Adams, uh, you know, an elite receiver in the NFL, no question about it. But beyond that, Oof. we were throwing darts in fantasy at these guys last year. Everyone, <laughs> I got, I got half, my, I got half the experts saying draft Valdez Scantling. Mm-hmm. I got half the other experts saying Geronimo uh, Allison. And then when Adams went down, we all thought, Joe, mm-hmm. that Valdez Scantley was going to be a star. Then, oh, we thought maybe Allison would be a star. Guess what? On Sunday, the Packers cut uh, – or the, the Packers didn't re- even resign Allison. The Lions did. Yeah. So I, I think this is a big point of concern for the Packers going into the 2020 season. I don't think Funches is the answer at all. Honestly, I am shocked that anybody would even give this guy another chance. But it just goes to show you – If you can get a guy for almost nothing, which is what they got Funches here, and I don't think that a lot of the money's even guaranteed, but we got to a point last season where I'm doing this show, Joe, and I remember my co-host at the time was Joe Pizzapia. I'm like, wait a second, whatever happened to Devin Funches? Didn't he sign
0: like a $10 million contract with the Colts, and he didn't even play? Yes, isn't that amazing? I mean, he is, um, but you just saw that list there of wide receivers. I think there's a lot happening with the Green Bay franchise right now. And I think the draft is going to tell us a lot about the direction that they're gonna go. I mean, say what you want, Aaron Rodgers, guys, the writing is on the wall. It's, he's still a great quarterback, but he's not getting out of trouble as like he used to. The, you know, it's coming out a little bit later and outside of the- They ran the ball a lot last year. And they're gonna run the ball a lot more too. I do not see them in that division I don't see Aaron Rodgers throwing the ball 50 times in a game. I just don't. I don't think that's a recipe for success. Funches, you got him for a, a ham sandwich, basically. If he anything, he's a big wide receiver, a big target that uh, you know to get a couple of yards, maybe in goal line situations, those types of things. It's not going to cost you a lot. But watch the draft with the Green Bay Packers. Let's take a look where they go uh, early on in this draft because you're right, there are a ton and I mean a ton of wide receivers that Aaron Rodgers would love to have in that lineup, but I don't think they're going to be the Aaron Rodgers kind of base situation here. I think they're going to be more uh, running game, run attack, short yardage, control the clock, uh, a lot of short passes, get the ball into, and then take a shot or two with Devontae Adams. Uh, I don't trust, I mean, Devin Funch, my work. Uh, yeah. But for nothing, give him a big body guy, tall receiver has never lived up to the yeah. hype. Maybe just maybe they say right the uh, the receiver doesn't make the quarterback. The quarterback makes the receiver. Let's see what uh, what Aaron Rodgers can do with Devin Funch.
1: Yeah, I, you know I, I just I don't have a lot of faith yeah. in uh, in that. And and look, if you can get paid, get paid. I got no beef with that whatsoever. But uh, last year, Green Bay even though they had a pretty good season against the spread, even though they took themselves all the way down to the wire in the NFC, they were outgained for the majority mm-hmm. of all of last season, too. I thought they were pretty much a fraud for them, uh, for most of the season. Uh, right. But they ran the ball great, and in the first six, seven games of the season, that defense carried them. Really right. uncertain as to where Rodgers is in his career, but there is no question that if they're going to do anything, next year. Remember, they can't be counting on guys like Kumaro again. and they, they were just bringing in all of these guys who I had never even heard of. Yep. They went into the season hoping to get a breakout from uh, from either valdez Scanling or Allison. They got neither. Yep. And so now Funches steps in, but I think the point you make is the fair one. Look for them at, at, and also another position that they got to attack Joe without a doubt, tight end, right? Yeah, it goes like, seven. Hasn't hasn't he always had that tight end always. throughout the years? Joe Michael Finley was one for many years. I didn't like Graham at all with them, but I mean, I, I really think that that is probably a second-round pick or a third-round pick, uh, another offensive weapon because Rodgers loves those tight ends. He just hasn't had it.
0: He is, and he has not had it, but he needs it. Certainly, in that offense with what they're running and how they're running it, there's got to be that that security valve for him and and rogers needs to trust these guys i mean i think they were a team that um they relied on him they it was a great running game that they had i think you're going to see more of that but uh they only played most of their games it was one half they would play really good in the first half and then hold on for dear life in the second half teams were adjusting to green bay in the second half of games where green bay didn't have another gear didn't have something to go to and I think that's um, that's concerning to them. He needs weapons. That offensive line getting a little older too. He's getting a little older. Uh, Crossroads is coming for that Green Bay organization who in the past doesn't spend an awful lot of money. So it'll be interesting to see what they do here.
1: Yeah, for sure. All right, uh, also around the NFL over the weekend, Melvin Gordon telling reporters that he perhaps should not have held out and sat out the majority of last season. and. I found this one really interesting because, look, a lot of times we're going to play results of what happens Mm -hmm. with players with stats and free agent situations. And again, the guaranteed money that he got with the Broncos, certainly not something that he would have wanted a year ago. But it's interesting to me, though, because, you know, Le'Veon Bell, Joe, got paid and got paid very well being in a similar situation going from Pittsburgh and and ending up with the Jets. Why do you think that it didn't work out as well for Melvin Gordon? Because clearly he went for the most money. He didn't go for the best opportunity going to Denver, that's for sure. I'm just surprised with those comments from him. I mean, what else, What did he think was going to happen? Teams are just not valuing the running back position. And honestly, Gordon probably didn't help himself at all coming back late in those games against the Chargers and fumbling all over the place, did he?
0: Yeah. Now, timing is everything in life, right, Craig? And... The timing could not have been any worse for him, given the fact that Zeke Elliott was doing the same thing. Um, And once Zeke Elliott got paid, then you had people going, Melvin Gordon's not Zeke Elliott. You're with an organization that throughout history, the Spanos and all of them have not, they don't spend money, guys. They nickel and dime everybody, even their stars they have for their entire uh, existence. So the idea that with that team, And and a competing running back, uh, setting the market, it it just, it was all, he was losing money. I get why he was doing it, and I love guys that bet on themselves. I'll back those guys any time. But the timing could not have been worse for Melvin Gordon to do what he did. Uh, I just, I hate that it was the Chargers. So many things went wrong. And they offered him, what, $10 million is what they were offering him. And he wasn't even getting close to that on the open market, but... Listen, lesson learned uh, and should be a lesson for more running backs uh, moving forward. If that was a different time and a different team, we'd probably be having a different discussion about Melvin Gordon. But you got Austin Eckler. They, you know, they weren't going to, they never really, no matter how good you thought you were, they've never put a uh, a price tag. They never put a lot of stock into the running backs. And then you got Austin Eckler catching, what do we need Melvin Gordon for? Yeah, that's what it terrible, looked like. Yeah. Terrible situation for
1: him. Yeah, and Josh Jackson doesn't seem bad mm-hmm. at all as yep. their third guy. Now he'll move up to their second guy as well. And yeah, yeah. I mean the Chargers. Listen, you want to, you can't talk about the Chargers with any kind of loyalty. Obviously, they left San Diego and went to LA. They let Eric Weddle go. Yes. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Junior Seau did not finish his career. Rest in peace with the Chargers. I think he ours. played for New England. Yeah. He played for New England and Miami. I think at the end yep. of his career uh, yep. with the Chargers. So. Yep. Uh, just one of those weird franchises that uh, you know you, you had to expect that this was going to happen. You had to expect that you weren't going to get paid. I understand where Gordon is coming from, but I just don't think any running back is. I think those two contracts that you saw with Zeke Elliott and Le'Veon Bell, that's it. I don't Outliers. think you're ever yep. going to see. That's it. I think it's done. I don't yep. think you'll ever see a running back get paid like that again. And no. speaking of which, over the weekend, you saw Todd Gurley finally make it official And they're making a really nice story of this. I get it. He's returning home to Georgia. He's going home to the place that he is. He's going to Atlanta. Joe, I think Todd Gurley is finished, man. Hmm. I I just It's sad for me to say. I think that they took one running back in Devontae Freeman and got another running back in Todd Gurley. Gurley a little bit younger, of course. And it's hard to say that about somebody that's so young. Right. But I just don't have a lot of faith in this happening. It's a really nice homecoming story. Yep. But when the fantasy football season rings around, even with that great offense that Atlanta has with Ridley and Jones and Hooper and the tight ends that they've had, um, you know, I'm I'm not in on Gurley this year.
0: How are they going to use him? I, I do think that Todd Gurley has a, he has a lot of upside, both from fantasy, from a betting perspective across the board. It's all gonna come down to how do you utilize him? I don't think he was utilized properly uh, with Sean McVay and the Rams, I don't think he maybe knows they what the couldn't do. though. Maybe you know, he was hurt. I don't know. If That's that why case, I don't trust it. Then you know. So, but I nothing we got from Gurley um, said that nobody's ever admitted to. You know, it's him. Does he have a problem with me? Yes, we know that guys. But I still think a lot of what I saw from Sean McVay last year was inexperience and not having a damn clue as to what to do when A doesn't work. There was there is no B for the Rams. It killed him in the Super Bowl, and it killed him in a lot of times last year. And they just had this resistance to go to him. And, so and why they cut know. him then,
1: Joe? Why they
0: cut him? I don't know why. Something was going on there. It doesn't make any sense. And if I'm Arthur Blank and I'm the Falcons, um, he's got to pass a physical, right? I, I know what I'm not. I'm not bringing him in and doing that if I don't know what his history is and what his medical say. I think to me, it's all about scheme. How are you going to get him in a position to be able to help your team both not only running the ball, but one of the best pass-catching running backs out of the backfield, him and Le'Veon Bell? You've got to be able to – it can't be this is my way or the highway. You've got to tailor your offense to fit your personnel. I don't think Sean McVay is very good at that.
1: Right. No, for sure.
0: All right. uh, We'll take a quick timeout.
1: We'll come back with some discussion Mm -hmm. about fantasy baseball and the closer position – A lot better situations in terms of health, but should you be targeting them on draft day? We'll have all that and more. Also an interview with Clark Spencer coming up, talking some horse racing right here on SportsGrid
2: on Fantasy Sports Today. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
1: And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Bish along with Joe Ranieri here on the show. we got a little fantasy baseball to discuss before we do that. Uh, you know, life inside the house in a pandemic. A quick story that uh, will hit home for, for everyone here a little bit. So uh, the other day, Joe and I are getting ready to test and to do this show together. And, of course, the way that we do this show is you guys see visually, you see graphics. You know, Joe's on one side. I'm on the other side. Uh, So before that gets up, Joe's so kind. He's like, let's get set up tonight. What time are you available? I say I'm available, but then all of a sudden, I have a home issue. And who would think this time with the pandemic that anything would be going on in the home? But yes, we had a little bit of a water issue, meaning Mm -hmm. that we had a little bit of a flood. Now, this is not the first time that we've had the flood or the second time or even the third time. Uh, It just so happens, Joe, that we are in an unfortunate situation right outside our house Mm -hmm. that we have this tree. And this tree that has been living right outside, this beautiful tree, which I hate to cut down, but I mean, the tree's been there for probably 10, 15 years, but Uh the roots are growing under the house and they are growing into a pipe and they're growing right into the water pipe that basically is stopping. So anytime we take a shower or do anything, once every four or five months, this thing just clogs itself up and it becomes a nightmare. Everything gets backed up and if we don't recognize it right away, you you can imagine Ah, uh, the results of it. Yep. So uh, we got rid of the tree yesterday. So what am I alluding to? Well, uh, last night uh, we're watching Netflix. Me and my wife were watching Ozark, whatever, second, right. you know, episode, third episode. And then when we get done with the episode, Joe, we go uh, upstairs. You know, we're getting ready to go to bed. It's probably ten, eleven o'clock. Right. And our daughter, who's just like living the life right now, not having school. She's thirteen years old, just you right. know, on doing everything until like three o'clock in the morning. Now I can't even stop her. Uh, says, look outside our door, like in the house, like in the house door, like upstairs. And there are these little droppings, Joe. (laughs) And, okay, so, you know, that's a little bit scary to think. And I'm freaking out. I'm like, what do we have in this house? Now, we've never had any kind of rodents in the house, ever. Never, ever, not once. And then I got to thinking, well... You know, we cut this tree down outside. This has got to be something to do with this, right? Okay. So, so so, I'm Googling, I'm looking at, you know, droppings. What is it? Is it, a, is it a a, dog? Is it a cat? Is it like, what kind of the house? Is it a mouse? Is it a rat? And we can't figure it out. But we clean it up, and there's only a, a couple of them. But still, Joe, a couple of droppings in your house is disgusting. Like, you don't want any of this around. No. So, uh, go to, so go to sleep, and then around 3 in the morning, I hear something and I'm like okay we got the culprit right no one in the house is up so I'm walking around the house I'm walking around I'm looking around I like can't find anything there's no more droppings or anything I open the door to my son's room I'm looking around I got the you know the phone right with, right. The, with the light you know, turn the light on and I look and in the corner is a tree frog oh, sitting in, I, oh. just sitting sit, staring right at me like you son of a bleep you cut down my tree <laughs> Now I'm going to poop all over your house. I love it. Three frogs. <laughs> it went outside, threw the frog away, and the dropping issue has been taken care of itself. You didn't but think I didn't of
0: that through, man, originally, because you got stuck once you had him in the thing. Now what are we doing? I know.
1: I'm like, I got to come against the wall. Should I listen and hear me still in there, you know, back and forth?
0: <laughs> listen, so, knock on wood, it was just a frog, because it could have been, uh, yeah, you're right, true. yeah. It could have been an unruly rat. These are rat. the kind
1: of... St- these are the kind of stories that I would never tell on SportsGrid, but given the nation and given the nature that we have, what's going on right now, I thought it would be worth two minutes of our time to discuss Listen, the Listen, I frog. gave
0: you, I cried at a Celine Dion concert. That's so true. That's true. Y- we, traded. we traded. We're good, man. We are good here. Unbelievable world we're in. Okay.
1: Now, uh, time to the beaten potatoes of this segment, which is, of course, uh, some fantasy baseball, as we mentioned on the show. We're, we're headed toward a different season. For people who have been asking me if they're drafting in fantasy baseball right now, what is my recommenda- recommendation? Do not do it. Just wait. There is no reason. There's no season for a month or two. At least just wait till spring training. Right. I get it. People want distractions. If you want to do mock drafts, do it. But uh, putting a penny down on this, I would not do. The one thing that I definitely will not do, though, this season, and I don't do it anyway, is I'm not going to put any stock in any closers this season in fantasy. Even starting pitchers to a degree, But for me, Joe, with the amount of games that are going to be played during the week, and we're looking at a minimum of eight or nine games being played with these doubleheaders, I can't see any one particular ninth-inning guy being used and abused, especially for any of the teams that have postseason aspirations. Mm -hmm. In a short season, I think it's going to be on a Tuesday night, a guy gets a save. Wednesday night, somebody else gets a save. They may bring that guy back from Tuesday to Thursday. They may bring the guy back from Wednesday to Thursday. So before we get into the individual teams and the players that I want to stay away from, to me that's the one position in fantasy this season that's the biggest unknown because I don't think anybody ends up with like more than 20 saves mm-hmm. in a season.
0: Can you do and I and I, I remember somebody mentioning this that in your league you can get rid of saves and include saves plus holds? you can and, and i think that's probably yeah. because i think there's so many middle relievers that never get they're better pitchers and they never get any love in in fantasy and i think And they're huge
1: this year. They're huge. the guys who could pitch 3 days in a row are the monsters this year. Like Absolutely. Pomerantz this year on San Diego. I think he's going to be a monster. He's going to pitch so many days in a row. You know, the other thing that is a possibility and you know, i don't think it'll happen but it's something to consider and and teams have talked about uh, doing that in fantasy football with the kicker. Mm-hmm. Um, is taking the team saves. Like in fantasy this season for pitchers, you could get your wins. If you still use wins, you get your strikeouts, your ERA, your whip. Right. And then when you take the closer, you're getting all the saves from the team. team. So you just take like Seattle, you take right. Arizona, or you take, uh, you know, Washington. And right. then any of these situations where it's a little bit murky. Because honestly, I mean, come on, it's a guessing game. 2020 in fantasy baseball is going to be a guessing game more than yeah. any, and even betting. No one is going to have a clue yeah. as to what is going to be happening. you got to be really careful. So yep. um, I, I thought that at least for this exercise, I would go through some of the situations, probably even before the season that I wasn't mm-hmm. in on, mm-hmm. but even more so now because of the price that you're going to have to get yeah. these guys at. So. Um, let's take a look at at least the top five situations or so, or some situations. Maybe I wouldn't even put them in this order, but uh, situations where the closing uh, deal is just going to be very, very murky. Arizona is on the top here because I think that they have a chance to be really good in the National League this year. Uh, added some good pieces in the offseason, and I think they have a chance to win some games. Madison Bumgarner is there. Uh, Zach Gallin, a high upside team. Uh, Archie Bradley has never really had the closing role all to himself over 162 games. Lesser season this year being played, and they signed Hector Rondon in the offseason. I think Rondon may have a chance to get some saves, and uh, Joan Lopez also, I think, would be in the mix there. I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, them use three guys here. And let's also not forget that everyone thought Archie Bradley was going to be the closer three Mm. years ago. It was Brad Boxberger getting all the saves for Arizona. They used Bradley in the eighth inning. Same manager, by the way, and Tori Lovillo as well. Uh, Orioles will not win a lot of games. If you watched my spring training preview a month ago with the Baltimore Orioles, you heard their manager, Brandon Hyde, say that uh, Hunter Harvey's in a position to get saves. But now, if there's a trade deadline in a truncated season, wouldn't it be the best idea for the Orioles to give Givens as many opportunities mm-hmm. as possible so they could trade him yep. and not have to live with that? in the months of uh, september and october and november and such so the Orioles' situation has changed significantly because of this uh rockies are in a similar situation because they want no part of wade davis wade davis has a monstro like his contract is so ridiculous <laughs> that they paid him that money it's no wonder why the rockies general manager is on the hot seat scott oberg ended the season as the closer But they announced before the season started that Wade Davis is going to be the I don't trust this one at all. I could Mm -hmm. see a complete split. And now the Rockies are really going to want to give Davis an opportunity to save some games so they can get out from under that contract. But honestly, in a 120-game season, do they have any chance of that? The answer is probably no. Uh, St. Louis Cardinals, still very unclear what they're going to do in the ninth inning. I was hearing a lot about Ryan Helsley toward the end of the spring. Mm-hmm. Gallegos did a good job for them last year in the ninth. Carlos Martinez was their closer. Now he's back into the rotation. And I would say that a short season benefits Carlos Martinez to only make 18 to 20 starts as opposed to 30. Andrew Miller, unfortunately, couldn't even feel his fingers in spring training. So mm-hmm. he's. I just have his name listed there. I don't think he's got a shot to close. But maybe this time off that he's gotten here will give him some opportunity there. And then the Nationals went with Sean Doolittle. They used and abused the bleep out of him last year. And then they brought back, uh, you know, uh, Daniel Hudson. Some people think that it's going to be a lefty-righty combo there. Let's also not forget Will Harris. The Nationals have lost Bryce Harper, Anthony Rendon Mm -hmm. in back-to-back seasons. Their offense, while it may be good, it cannot be as good as it was two years ago. And they're going to be playing in a lot of close games, a lot of save opportunities. I would say it's probably a 33% split between Doolittle, Hudson, and Harris. Mm. So those are the situations, at least, that I'm looking at, factoring in a short season, factoring in some uncertainty. And and look, Joe, if if we ever change the fantasy baseball rules and award it to a team, right. give me the Nationals. They'll mm-hmm. probably save 50, 60 games, and you'll get all of them. But right. until then... To stay away from these situations.
0: Well, you know, you, you, you talk about it too, and you mentioned the Cardinals. I mean, there are a number of teams and the Orioles that you had on this list. There's got to be at least a half a dozen, if not more, teams that are Tampa um, reliever by, like, closer oh, by yeah. committee. For and sure. So, what do you do with those? I mean, do you even, you know, I know some guys, one of the strategy is they wait till after the draft. They like, they draft like a middle reliever or two, and then they wait to pick up guys once the draft is over because what are you supposed to do with with a half a dozen uh, you know to almost 10 teams that are yeah. it's committee guys until somebody can until somebody can show up it's a it's a tough way to approach it not knowing that there's the guy one or two guys there's just not
1: yeah, and, and the thing is, is that what you always hear uh, in the expert community is that, like in a good example, as you mentioned, like Tampa. So, mm-hmm. like Nick Anderson is their, you know, supposed closer. Right. And even if Nick Anderson doesn't save games, yes, it's true he's going to throw seventy-five, or he would have thrown seventy-five innings. He's going to strike out hundred guys. He's giving you strong ratios, ERA, WHIP, right. and strikeouts. That, that's all true, Joe. But we're, the draft position that you have you're not drafting Nick Anderson to get you those good ratios just in case. Right. That's not what – or you would have taken a starting pitcher in that right. spot if that right. was the case. So that that narrative is a little bit of a nonsense for me. When you're taking a closer in the sixth round or a seventh round or an eighth round of a fantasy draft, you're taking some of those guys that are at the top. You're drafting for saves. Right. You're not drafting for those other ratios. Yes, if it doesn't work out, it's not a bad option to get 30% of the price that you paid for the player if he gets no saves and he gives you good ratios. But that's not what you're doing. And Mm so there are some people who will probably feel this year some of the guys who are more reliable as closers are better suited to be taken a little bit higher because of those situations. But I I am still not buying it because a lot of those closers that are on the really good teams like Osuna on Houston, as an example, I think is going to be preserved for the postseason and winning those games in the postseason. Uh, Or oldest Chapman in the same position. I don't think they're going to abuse Chapman in the months of June and July when they know they're going to have to be pitching in freezing temperatures in October? No sure. way. So you got to draft the position, but I think that you move everybody down a little bit and you try and move up a little bit on maybe the 10 or 15 that are more reliable, but I am not taking any in the first five or six Will rounds. Will you
0: this. see, right. because obviously with the rule change this year, with the you know the righties and lefties having to come in and pitch the free batters, uh, it might alter, I guess, maybe starts, but do you see that affecting and how much of a stock are you putting into the fact that a guy coming in, we might have, what, multiple inning saves? Is that even uh, something that we might be looking at here?
1: Well, well then, you, well, then you have to figure in the guys that can do that, and there aren't a lot of them in the big leagues anymore. Um, you know, Brad Hand is one of those that can pitch two innings at a time. You could see him coming in the eighth and, and getting the ninth, but in general – You've seen the failures from what we would call the elite closers over the last decade from I mean, the only time that Craig Kimbrell and Kenley Jansen – and now, Kimbrell toward the end of his career now right. clearly in the same with Jansen. But those two guys, you could say, were sort of at the pinnacle as far as their careers. Even if they weren't the number one closer going into a season in fantasy, they were always in the top three or top four, if not top five. And any time they had to go, Joe, more than an inning, right. It just, it just so didn't hard. necessarily go well for them. So – it's a fair point to ask. Is there a chance that some teams that are smart? Tampa Bay is a good example of that. Oakland is another good example mm-hmm. that could they get creative and shock us and with this truncated season, potentially, could they go with a, you know, completely different closer than we even know right now? Of course they could do that. Could they right. take a starter? If they have an excess guy, a sixth or seventh starter, maybe somebody in their minor league system, they could do that as well. So, um, all those things, I think. I are, mean, listen, Patrick Corbin opened
0: up a lot of eyes. If it's not for Patrick Corbin in relief, <laughs> coming yeah. out of the pen, you know what I mean? So I'll be interested to see, especially with the new rules, do we get maybe a little bit more of that on what a starting pitcher, maybe a, a four or five in the rotation, but you know what? He's pitching the eighth and ninth and, you know, he's coming in and that's your closer
1: right right so anyway that's uh the hardcore fantasy baseball discussion for the day um one thing that i wanted to to discuss here because i'm wondering it's aside from sports here is is just the situation of what's going on with the price gouging Mm. of a lot of the different items that people are needing now the toilet paper thing i don't get i don't know why everyone needs so much toilet paper i think that it's fine, you're just gonna end up with a lot of toilet paper in your house if you buy that much. And believe me, my wife did it. I didn't know why she did it. We got a million things of toilet paper, fantastic. We'll be good for the next year. But you can buy that in stores right now. So I don't get it, same thing with paper towels. But I, I think that the thing that I'm seeing uh, on the rise as far as the money goes, and it's like, um, are the masks, like the surgical masks? Yeah. And also the hand wipes and hand sanitizers. Now- I wanna make something clear. The most important thing is to get all of that in the hands of the people that need it. But isn't that the responsibility of the government? Isn't that the responsibility of other people as opposed to some random person who happens to have these on eBay and is trying to make a buck? There are some people that feel it's disgusting. I'm in the boat, of course, of saying, yes, there is some price gouging going there. But if somebody is fortunate to have those, Joe, it's a definitely ethical question. Should they be under the obligation? Let's say you have six, six masks, right. right? And instead of them going for five bucks, which is what they, you pay for them, or two bucks, they're going for 100. Is it unethical to sell those? Mm-hmm. Or yeah. is it okay because you're making a buck? I, I, you know, it's, it's I, I, I get, what if you're broke, Joe? Like, right. what, if, what if you lost your job and right. you're sitting there with, with these masks and you're like, all right, uh, we'll take a quick timeout. Away from that conversation we go, we'll go over to some horse racing. Mm. And uh, Clark Spencer, of course, used to be a longtime writer with the Miami Herald and kind of found himself into the race game and over the weekend has a piece uh of ownership of one of the horses that was in the florida derby so how did this happen how did he go from writer to horse owner and we'll dive into what horse racing may look like over the next six months that's coming up next right here on sports grid craig mish and joe ranieri don't go away Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish, along with Joe Ranieri, once again with you here on the show. And in case you missed any live sports yesterday, believe it or not, there was one major live event in sports that we were all tuned into. Too bad it was only a couple of minutes, Joe, because that's kind of the problem, is that uh, horse racing, I mean, yes, you can watch all day long from all the different uh, you know horse tracks out there. But the one in particular that I wanted to talk about today is, of course, the Florida Derby. And joining us now to talk about that is uh, former writer for the Miami Herald, Clark Spencer, who actually is a part owner of Gunnar Morris, who was in the race yesterday. And Clark, thanks so much for coming on Fantasy Sports today here on Sports Grid. How are you?
3: Uh, Great. Thanks for having me on.
1: Well, I appreciate it. Well, Clark, I think that for most people who follow you and they know your past history with baseball, they may be surprised to know that you have a horse that potentially could be involved in the Triple Crown. So before we get into the Florida Derby and the results of that, um, take me through the process of basically changing your entire career of essentially retiring from the Miami Herald as a sports writer and then getting into racing horses.
3: Well, um, you know, I retired at the end of February last year, and about that time I thought, okay, I took the buyout from the Herald, uh, retirement buyout. I'm thinking, what am I going to do now? I bought a set of golf clubs, I'm, uh, lousy, uh, but it gave me something to do. And and then this, uh, there was a horse offer that came along, and my brother called me and said his next-door neighbor had come over, been presented with this horse that you could buy into, and he wanted my advice. And I basically told her, hey, look, uh, don't go in this— uh, expecting to make any money because you probably aren't you, you go into it expecting to lose everything and not that that's the most common case but just to prepare yourself and before you know it lo and behold we all got together and decided to buy two and a half percent of a seven hundred and twenty thousand dollar unraced two-year-old named Gouverneur Morris and I'm, I'm impressed that you actually pronounced his name properly Craig
1: yeah, I got that one down. Yeah, I made sure of that, uh, actually, about— th- I remember the last time we talked, you had mentioned it, so I, I did some research and and I looked it up. Um, okay, so uh, you, you basically decide that you're going to get into this. Two and a half percent is still a nice chunk of change to invest in a horse. But in your wildest dreams, Clark, with all the investments that are made in different horses over the course of people's lives— I mean, it's it's kind of remarkable that the first time, or essentially one of the first times out of the shoot, you get a horse potentially that looks like a big winner, or potentially has a chance to be a big winner. How did that happen so fast?
3: Uh, pure luck. Uh, you know, I covered horse racing for the Miami Herald for ten years, so I you know I speak the language, I understand the game, but I had never owned a horse before, nor I mean, I hadn't even really had any desire to own a horse until this came along, and. Um, we just got lucky. I mean, he's a well-bred horse. I mean, the fact that he sold for $720,000 right there is kind of an indication that, you know, the horse has potential based on his pedigree and and how he looked. And, and, uh, you know, we just got lucky. Uh, it, it was a needle in the haystack and, you know, we bought him, I think in March, late March. And, uh, he didn't run for the first time until Labor Day. Uh, at Saratoga so we had to wait a long time before he even ran which you know we knew we expected and boy his first race was at Saratoga and you know he won by nine links and we're going whoa this horse is you know this horse is pretty nice right, right. And, and uh you know and then he ran again at Keeneland uh, in October in a grade one race and grade one is the highest caliber of racing there is and he finished second so we knew he had a good horse on our hands at that point and we just had to wait till uh, the spring of this year to see him Come out, and we're thinking Kentucky Derby, first Saturday in May. And of course, uh, as you know, with everything else that got postponed or canceled, baseball, basketball, uh, the Derby got postponed till September. So here we sit.
0: You know, it's funny, Clark, uh, Craig and I, all three of us here in the South Florida, Miami, and Broward area. Um, there weren't a lot of people very happy that uh, Gulfstream continued with the Florida Derby. Some folks saying, what are we doing? Why are they open? Um, I'm of the mindset where you gotta be, I mean, we've got some semblance of normalcy, but I don't think people understand the restrictions that were associated with the meet and with what was going on. There weren't owners on the track, there weren't fans. They've done pretty much everything in the racing industry Uh, to protect it. It's a very close-knit family. It's not like there's a lot of people uh, who are unnecessary hanging out at the track. Was that your experience yesterday?
3: Well, I didn't get to go uh, to Gulfstream. I had to watch it on TV because they're not allowing owners or really anybody else into the track. And they've gone to extreme precautions. Uh, You know, they've got the gate crew and the outriders that ride the ponies alongside the racehorses when they come out. For the post parade they've got them wearing uh, masks they've got gloves on there's really no one at the track someone i, I heard someone was at the track uh, uh, a state congressman was at the track yesterday and commented there's more people at Publix right mm-hmm. now than there are at this track and there's an important point to be made with with racing and i understand why people would have concern why are they being allowed to run and, and i can understand that viewpoint but you got to keep in mind, there's a thousand horses back there on that backside, and you have to have people take care of them. I mean, you, they've got to be fed, they've got to be exercised, watered, bathed. Uh, it requires human care to to keep these horses alive. And it, it, you've probably never been out in the morning during training hours, but there are actually more horses on the track during training hours than there are in the afternoon. So. Um, really, they went to every precaution they could. They're testing jockeys. They're taking their blood pressure, their temperature when they walk in every day to, to make sure to, to, you know, to try to keep that element out of it.
1: Yeah, and, and I want to get into that as far as what the future of horse racing could look like. But before we do that, let's go back to Sunday for a minute. So uh, obviously, a, a couple of horses are scratched, and uh, Gouverneur Morris comes in. Um, uh, you know, not as the favorite, but certainly the odds looked like he definitely had a chance to finish in the top five. He ended up doing that. And I'm wondering what your thoughts were on the race. Uh, from watching it, it seemed like it was a little bit of a slow start. And then he came on very late, which I would think you'd have to be optimistic about, considering all of the great races that are getting ready to happen, or at least potentially could happen later in the summer and into the fall.
3: Right. He finished fourth, and you know he he was the only horse making up ground in the stretch. Um, he only got min- finished, missed out on third by maybe a neck, And um, we were encouraged after the race. This was only his fourth career race. Uh, he was up against the big boys. These were the best three-year-olds on the East Coast. Uh, Tis the Wall, the horse that won. He's the real thing. I mean, the real deal. And you kind of have to feel for them because if the Derby was, in fact, going to be held on the first Saturday of May, they'd be sitting in the catbird seat. Yeah, sure. Right, was one of the favorites. And now... Being held off till September, you know, four months in horse racing is an absolute eternity. And so many things can go wrong. Uh, New horses arrive on the scene that are really good. So, uh, you know, kudos to them because he's a heck of a horse, tis the law. And, you know, our horse finished fourth. And we were actually encouraged by the race. You know, so we think our horse will go forward and improve from this point. But the, the problem is most tracks around the country are closed. So no one knows what's going to happen now with racing, and and, and uh, just like anything else that's going on.
0: You know, it was it was funny last year when the Florida Derby, you had um, you know you had Sire as a maximum security kind of led the way and slowed it down to the point where nobody uh, was going to be able to come and catch him. They just ran out of track. Uh, impressive with is the law with his ability just to kind of sit off the lead there and then. Um, you know, Manny kind of kicked him into another gear, and it was it was lights out from that particular point. And it was uh, I got to tell you, he if he's not, he should be at least close to being the favorite whenever September fifth or whenever it may be. Uh, that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty impressive not only a trip but a pretty impressive horse uh, moving into that Kentucky Derby.
3: Oh, by all means, I mean like I said, he's the real deal. There's no shame losing to him. Uh, We were no match for him. The rest of the horses were no match for him. But, you know, it it was March 28th, and September 5th is a long way, and a lot can change, and and it changes often and rapidly in horse racing. So, you know, we think we can get our horse back on track. And they're going to – I don't know what they'll do with Tis the Law now. I, I would assume give him a break. Mm. Uh, has enough points to qualify for the Derby already, so maybe give him a little break and, and then kind of wind him up again uh, late summer. That's assuming tracks are open and they're a race. So that's a big assumption at this point, right? Yeah, yeah, it
1: is for everything, Clark. And and I know that you covered baseball uh, for a long time as well. And, and to be honest with you, baseball is probably an easier proposition <laughs> – than a race like the Kentucky Derby or the Belmont Stakes or the Preakness, because yeah, I mean there are some baseball parks in the country, in New York and St. Louis and California, where they are getting forty, fifty thousand, but you're talking about astronomical numbers being poured in to those three races. And I think that, Clark, uh, I I don't see any scenario where the Kentucky Derby is going to race without fans like that is a monstrosity of a fan event. Mm. I mean, you have, you know, 15 hours going into the Kentucky Derby for a two minute race that day. Um, So is, is the thought process that like, does it make sense the way that they're doing this in the preparation for September? And what would be the plans for the Belmont and the
3: Preakness? Well, you know, Churchill could have conceivably done what Gulfstream just did, and that's run their premier race without any spectators. There's no ambience whatsoever yesterday. Um, and it wouldn't be the same thing at Churchill Downs, Twin Spires, and an empty grandstand for the Kentucky Derby. You know, I don't even know if they'd have a band playing my old Kentucky home when they came out yeah, on right, the track right. for that matter, right? So... Um, they're, the plans are really uncertain. What they're going to do with, say, the Preakness, which is the second leg of the Triple Crown, the Belmont, which is the third leg. I mean, you could see, you could conceivably see them run the Preakness and the Belmont before they run the Derby, and and. Mm-hmm. You know, it would change things that wouldn't be traditional, but that might be their only option at this point. So, you know, Churchill wants fans in there, and they're hoping by September 5th things will sort of ease up, and then they can can pack the place, and everybody can have their mint juleps and wear their big hats and all that stuff, and you can have a normal race.
0: It would just seem so, I mean, I can't imagine starting with a behemoth of the Belmont and then working your way backwards because the Triple Crown has always been about Listen, if you can win those first two legs, and then you can win the Belmont, then by all means, triple crown, that's exactly, uh, you are the best horse, horse of the year by far. And then what do you do with the Travers? I I mean, you know, conceivably, if if things, and and we're all hoping, obviously, things get a whole heck of a lot better here uh, in, in the very, very near future, you know, we could end with the Travers and the Kentucky Derby. Uh, to end the kind of year. And then, of course, you got to worry about the Breeders' Cup coming up just after that. So, you know, the Travers-Kentucky Derby, will that end this Triple Crown race or will that be the beginning of it? I, I, you know, it's got its pros and cons, but boy, oh boy. Talk about a industry that's always lived in the rearview mirror. That would be a tough pill to swallow for some of the, uh, you know, the purists of the industry.
3: Oh, right now, yeah. Uh, like you said, the Travers is scheduled presently. At Saratoga, one week before the Derby, and you know, I would assume, and I'm just assuming here, that they would turn the Travers into like a major prep race going into the Derby, mm. uh, um, and maybe move it up uh, late August, or not late August. I'm sorry, late July, early August, and use that as a as a key prep, like the Florida Derby normally is, you know, or the Santa, or the or the uh, uh, Santa anita derby in california so they're gonna have to do a lot of juggling with the schedule i don't know how they're gonna figure this out but you know i just hope our horse is involved somehow you know in the whole thing yeah yeah all right uh clark let's uh let's kind of wrap up with this aside from horse racing
1: i mean you've covered sports and been a writer for decades you're a huge college basketball fan a huge sec basketball fan um, you know, they wiped out that tournament. Unfortunately for us, you know, not much that can be said for that. Uh, the end of the college basketball season just came and went without March Madness for sure. Uh, in your lifetime, Clark, of covering sports, I mean, has there has there been anything ever like this? Do you think we'll ever see anything like this again? I mean, it's a scary time just for people trying to live and stay alive during this pandemic for sports for us. Uh, and and I can only imagine for you for all the years that you've done it have you ever thought that anything like this would be experienced and and in you watching and reading and seeing everything on television uh, is it surreal for you like it is for us too
3: oh absolutely i mean you know how can you how can you foresee something like this happening i mean there's there's been nothing even remotely close to this in my lifetime i mean right after 911 you know baseball shut down for a week but then it resumed again i mean we're talking Months here, um, and um, it's it's just bizarre. I, I look, I can't even. I, I know there's a lot of the sports channels are showing replays of classic games, and I, I don't want to watch a replay. <laughs> I want to watch the real thing, you know. And and I, I can't get into watching the 1988 Game Six of the World Series, you know, or or even the Marlins games, you know. I was it's already happened, you know. So uh, yeah, it's really strange. I don't know how this is going to end or whether, you know, these sports are going to be able to resume again. You know, baseball, they're talking maybe the All-Star break. Um, I've heard things like uh, maybe they would have the World Series be played in November and maybe even December, Um, and warm-weather cities with domes, i.e. Miami could be one of those places where they have a neutral site World Series, which would just be crazy, Um, even without the Marlins in it, most likely. So, you know, everything is going to be... You know, they're going to be doing everything on the fly now to, tr- to try to bring it back.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely a strange day of, of living in a strange world we're all living in, both on the television and radio side, for sure. Uh, Clark, thanks again. Congratulations with all the yeah. success and this second uh, part of your career that you never thought that you would have. You're uh, owning a racehorse that potentially has a chance to race in the Triple Crown. Congratulations on that success and getting involved in this. Stay safe, stay healthy. And uh, and we'll catch up again for sure right before we get into some of those big races uh, at Pimlico, of course, and, uh, and, of course, at Churchill Downs. Thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate it.
3: Absolutely, Craig and Joe. Have
1: a good day. All right. All right. Thanks so much. That's Clark Spencer, former sports writer for the Miami Herald, now a part owner of a big-time horse on the horse racing circuit. And with that, we'll end our show today. Thanks again to my co-host, Joe Ranieri. I'm Craig Mish. We'll catch you again on Tuesday for another edition of Fantasy Sports Today here on SportsGrid. Don't forget, like and subscribe to our show wherever you're watching the show, whether it's on Pluto TV, Zumo TV, of course, YouTube, SportsGrid.com. Make sure you let us know. And again, on YouTube, again, like and subscribe to the show. We'll send it to you every single day. Have a great day, everybody. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. See you.